Well, good morning. It's great to see you this morning. Uh, one thing they wanted me to make sure and mention was um, on the app, uh, you can follow along, and the notes are on there, and you can actually push save, um, because as soon as, as soon as the service is over, um, that goes away, unless you save it. So they wanted me to make sure and tell you you have that option to push save if it's something you want to look back on. And um, also, um, I don't know if you noticed, but in the second service, we're actually doing it Facebook Live right now. And um, we're just interested to see if it's something that uh, uh, you use, the community uses. And so in the future, if you end up using it, uh, just give us a shout out, maybe a thumbs up underneath or you might not want to put a thumbs up. You might just say, hey, uh, you know, we're just kind of trying to see how, how often people are using it. We can monitor certain things, but uh, just kind of give us a shout out if you use it. Let us know. Uh, it's something we want to continue to, uh, to do, but we're interested in how much, uh, how much traffic it's, uh, it's seeing. Uh, obviously, we're moving into a new series, and my mind has been... Uh, captivated by all that goes into this series for the next three weeks. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, but I got to, uh, all week, or throughout parts of this week, I was thinking about this service and thinking about what I was going to say. I kept having an image come to my mind, and I couldn't get it out of my mind. And I, I've done this long enough to realize that as, as your pastor, as your shepherd, as someone who prays and cares and thinks about your lives, that many times when something like that happens, uh, it's just the way the Lord kind of saying, listen, I want you to, I want you to take a moment. And um, I want to just take a moment in this morning service before we jump in to our series. And um, I want you to look at this image. Uh, this image is 1992. It's Barcelona, Spain. It's the Olympics. A lot of you maybe even remember this moment, right? Derek Redman, uh, a British runner, had trained and brought his career to its peak in the 1992 season in the Olympics. This was the year, this was his time. If he ran like he was supposed to or could or capable of, he was gonna stand on the podium and have a medal. And uh, in fact, in the weeks leading up and even that week, I mean, he was absolutely at the in the best condition he had been in, running his best races. And um, in fact, he felt so good that he thought, I'm gonna push it a little bit. Because I know that if I push it a little bit in the heats, that I can be in one of those, those better lanes in the final. And so sure enough, in this, I think as a semifinal heat, uh, Derek, all he needed to do was finish in the top four. And he was going to be in the final. No problem for him. So he, out of, the, out of the starting blocks, 
He takes off. He's moving great. In fact, he's in great shape. And um, running the 400 comes around. And um, all of a sudden, he hears a pop. He said it was so loud that he actually thought it was a gun going off. Maybe a starter gun or a gun going off. But really what it was, was it was his hamstring. And maybe you remember those images in 1992 of Derek Redman at full speed all of a sudden grabbing his leg. And he is done. I mean, he starts hobbling and then he hits, he hits, the, he hits the track. And um, he said in his mind he had been running so well and he had been ahead and he had been doing good. He thought, well, I'm just going to get up. Even if i got to hobble, I'll be in the top four. And so he actually attempts to get up and to keep going. In the stands, his father was there, who had been there from the very beginning, obviously, all through his career, had, had been just as much invested in his career probably as he had almost. The blood, sweat, and tears were his too. And if you read the story, you, you read about a father who is sitting in those stands and he's watching this unfold. And he is so moved when he realizes what is happening. He's so moved that he said, I don't know, the, the one minute I remember turning to my friend and handing him a camera, and the next moment I'm on the track. So that's all I remember. Uh, there's, there's images of him coming out of the stands. The video, he's coming down out of the stands, and he's, he's going onto the track, and he's, he's pushing security personnel. Because obviously they don't know who he is, and they're trying to protect the runner. But he will not be stopped. And in fact, there's that one uh, image, that video image of him pushing the last security guy away. And finally it dawns on the security guy, oh, I think this, you know. And Derek's father rushing to him and grabbing him. And Derek saying, Dad, I, I just have to finish. I just want to finish. And he's saying, well, we started together and we're going to end together. And you remember those images of dad holding, carrying son across the finish line that day in, in Barcelona. It's a lasting image of the Olympics. It's always way up there in moments from the history of the Olympics. And I can't get that image out of my mind because I look at that image and I see just a, a mirror, just a little mirror, just a small glimpse into who our Heavenly Father is. You know, Jesus, as he was interested in helping us understand who the Father is, he shares a story. You remember the man with two sons? The son who runs away, who does his own thing, who becomes broken and lost, and life has absolutely taken it out of him. You remember that story? And um, it says the son came to his senses. 
he realized he began to move back toward the Father. And that story, Jesus telling us about God, how he responds to each one of us, cares about one of us, is said that he was moved with compassion so much that he ran to where that son was. Remember that story? And I don't know why. Well, I do know why because in the first service. Um, anyway. But I've just felt like all week I need to share that with you. You need to be reminded of that. You need to look at this image and allow that, wow, that's a father who loves his son, who, who, who just couldn't stand it, had to get out there, had to help him finish. It's just a little glimpse. It's a small illustration about a heavenly father or a small illustration of a heavenly father who cares about you. And you might be broken this morning. You might be weary this morning. You might be a little disillusioned or discouraged. And you simply this morning need to be reminded that you don't need to try a little harder, strive, or you need to just rest and trust in the grace and the strength of the Heavenly Father. You need to let Him pick you up. You need to let Him carry you down the track for a while. You need to remember that our God is a God who has moved with compassion especially, the scriptures say especially, when we're downhearted, when we're discouraged, when we're up against it, when we're down and out, maybe even when we're broken, or definitely when we're broken and lost and just need, need strength, need help. That's who he is. And I want this image to burn in your mind this week. That's great. Our Heavenly Father is even way beyond that. He cares. Remember what Jesus said? Consider the lilies of the field. Remember what he said? Consider the sparrows. And the Heavenly Father is mindful of them. He knows all about them. He cares for them. How much more? Does he not care for his children? Somebody needs to hear that this morning. God loves you. God cares about you. God knows exactly where you are. Will you just trust him this morning? Will you just let him carry you this morning? Will you stop trying so hard you're making it worse? Would you just, just let him? Let's pray. Father, Lord, I, I trust you, and I, I always trust that when you impress something on me that much, you're, you're wanting to, to tell us something. Lord, just, I don't know who it is in this service. Maybe it's a number of people. And really, all of us need to be reminded of this. 
You're the Father who runs to where we're at. You care. You're moved with compassion. And Father, when we call out to you, we turn to you. You're not as interested in, uh, you're not interested in fault-finding and blame game. Lord, you just want us to turn to you and trust you. And you want to allow, and you want us to allow you to, to pick us up, carry us. So Lord, whoever that is this morning, help this image be something that encourages them, that reminds them of an even greater Father, the Heavenly Father who loves them today. And would you encourage them? Would you strengthen them? Would you help them, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The human brain, made of approximately 100 billion neurons, the same number of stars that exist within our galaxy. The human brain monitors and regulates all of the body's actions and reactions. With over 5 trillion chemical operations occurring every second, and signals being transferred at speeds of over 260 miles per hour, our brain is rapidly analyzing and responding to all of the sights, sounds, and smells all around us. Now, because we are all born slaves to sin, our mind has been programmed to behave out of selfish desire. The way we think, dream, reason, and act are limited to the ways of this world. Now consider the facts for a moment. For every behavior we experience, our brain creates a neurological pathway. As behaviors are repeated, those pathways become increasingly more stable. Think of it this way. A single behavior maps out a dirt road in your brain, creating a basic pathway for your thoughts to travel. But as you repeat behaviors, your brain builds a highway, allowing for an increased volume and frequency of thoughts to move about resulting in your day-to-day -day actions. In order to change our behavior, we must reprogram our brain. It requires the deconstruction of existing highways and is a process that takes time. The Bible directs us to take every thought captive and to commit daily to the renewing of our mind through the power of God's Word. And in time, the result is the formation of an entirely new neurological roadmap, leading you to the life you were meant to live. So I've had a lot of fun this week thinking about this. And, you know, uh, I, th I know I've learned this stuff before, thought about this stuff before, but just being reminded of the absolute power, uh, intricacy, design of our brains. I mean, this little thing that weighs about three pounds, and actually your skin weighs as two times as much as your brain. This thing that's made up of 75% water, so really 20, it's just amazing. 100,000 miles, 100,000 miles of blood vessels are in your brain. When you were born, your brain is basically the same size as it is now. And it contains most of the same cells, brain cells that you're going to have your whole life. Your brain uses 20% of the oxygen and blood that your body uses. 
Um, just so many cool facts. I, I just grab a few. One that uh, you'll find interesting is scientists have discovered that men and women's brains react differently to pain. Does that surprise you? I guess it doesn't surprise my wife, which explains why they may perceive or even discuss pain differently. You know, every time you recall a, a memory or have a new thought, you create a new connection in your brain. Uh, the way that you remember things is you do it by associations. And so if we want to remember things, we're able to create associations in our mind. It's, it's just unbelievable. It's unbelievable this powerful machine. I just got a new laptop. I think it's the greatest thing in the world. It's so cool. And yet it just, it, it is so dwarfed in comparison to the power of our brains, our brains. Uh, it's so powerful that even at night, when we're supposedly asleep, um, actually your brain is still working, uh, working maybe even more at night as it consolidates all of your memories from the day. So it goes to follow that when you don't get sleep, you are actually hurting your ability to create new memories because it hasn't been able to consolidate the old memories. Um, you know, it's amazing that while, while our bodies rest, our brain is still going. In fact, they say that most people dream about one to two hours a night and that actually we have an average of about four to seven dreams each night. And studies have shown that brave way, brain waves are actually more active while we're dreaming than while we're even awake. I mean, this thing is like something that never shuts off. It's always going. It just, you know, um, well, I, let's say, <laughs> I have kids. I'm beginning to realize maybe sometimes it shuts off. <laughs> not really. It's so powerful. It's so, so powerful. Um, in fact, while you sleep, your body produces a hormones, a hormone that prevents you from acting out your dreams. It actually leaves you virtually paralyzed um, because it's so active even at nighttime. If you're snoring, you're not dreaming. So there you go. <laughs> Some of you never dream, right? <clears throat> It's just amazing every time we blink, every time we blink, how many times do you think you blink in a day? It's about 20,000 times a day. Every time you blink, our brain kicks in and keep thi keeps things illuminated so the world doesn't go dark every time we blink. It's just amazing. This tool, this part of our body that God has given to us, you know, with science, we are becoming more and more aware of the, of the capacity and the function of our brain. And it's given us a renewed perspective on the importance of it and on the importance of mental health. You know, for a long time, mental health has carried a, a stigma. People would not want to talk about their mental health issues. But the more we have begun to understand our brains the more we have, uh, I don't know what's going on, but the more that uh, 
That stigma is going away because we realize how absolutely essential, important, and the need for the health of our, of our minds to be intact. You know, we've embraced physical health. We have huge healthcare centers and trillions of dollars dedicated to it. And yet your brain is in same need of that kind of treatment and health. It needs to be healthy. But guess what? The scriptures have always understood this. You know, honestly, they've never underestimated the power of the brain because God, the God who created the brain is the God who also helps us understand how important its function is in our life. And so what I want to do is just take a few weeks and connect what the scriptures say about how God uses and works with our brains to accomplish his will in our life. I mean, this unbelievable machine that all of us have, uh, how, does, how does it do what it's supposed to do? Because all of us would admit that so often we know what it is to have had thinking gone bad. We, we understand the power of it going in places it shouldn't go. We understand what it is to maybe be plagued or captivated by negative thoughts or um, uh, fearful thoughts or uh, discontented thoughts or um, uh, critical thoughts. We all have experienced that because in our fallen nature, it has affected the brain and the brain actually then begins to work against us, so to speak, in so many ways because of our sinful nature. And so we get that, wow, it's powerful, but what does God, what did God originally design for it to do? How is it supposed to work and what are we supposed to do about it? This tool that God has given to us. If I were to ask you, what is God's plan for your life? How would you answer me? Well, I would hope that you would answer me in this way. You would say, well, Chip, I'm not quite sure all the plans that he has for me. I'm not sure maybe where I'm going to be living in 10 years uh, or what I'll be doing in 10 years. I'm not sure of all the plans, but I do know this. That Chip, God's plan for my life is <clears throat> that no matter where the details or the circumstances or the context of my life is, is that he is always planning to work in my life to create the image and the person of Jesus Christ. I've made it all the way through first service and halfway through second. I just got to make it 15 more minutes. <clears throat> you would say, you know what? I know that's his plan for my life. That's his plan for all of our lives. That's what he wants to do. He wants to create in us the image, the likeness of his son. That's why Jesus says, you know what? I'm the light of the world, but you know what? I'm going to leave, and you're going to become the light of the world. You're going to become the salt of the earth. How that, how's that going to happen? Because you're really smart and because you're the who's who? No, because I'm going to take your life and I'm going to 
pick it up, its brokenness. I'm going to save it from that stuff, brokenness, and I'm going to start to put it together. And as I put it together and as I shape it and mold it and craft it and make it the work of art that I've always designed, the world's going to look on and say, wow, there's something about that Jesus Christ. And you're going to become the light of the world through the work I do in you. See, that's always God's plan for our lives. I don't know the context of my life in 15 years, but one thing I absolutely know for certain is the work that he began in me, he is being going to be faithfully completing it in me as I cooperate with him, right? That's his plan, is to make us into Jesus' image, into Jesus' likeness. That's, that's the big deal. That's the plan. It's what Romans 8 says. He wants to conform us to the image of his son. You say, why do you, why do you bring that up when you're talking about the mind? Well, thank you for asking. Because I want to show you how this all interplays together. And it really is, is really easy for us to grasp in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. This is what Romans 12, 2 says. It says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Okay? It says, the world is a cookie-cutter factory. It's interested in making you like itself. And just, this word is like stamp. It's like a mold, you know, that you have in plastics or something. Do not allow the world to make you into that image. But be transformed. So we move to a word that we learned about the idea in seventh grade science, right? Do you remember? You remember learning about, I still remember this. I don't remember a lot from science class, but I still remember the phenomenon of watching the idea of how a caterpillar could become a butterfly. It could metamorphosize. It could change from one thing to another. It could, you know, a tadpole frog type thing. And he said, listen, my life, or your life, now that you've come to me, now that you've allowed me into your life, what I'm interested in doing is changing who you've been into who I have always planned for you to be. It's this process, this metamorphosis, this transformation. And what is the catalyst for that? What leads the way with that? I want you to be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. We're gonna change things here is what he's saying. And we're gonna do it by starting with renovating your mind. That's what that word renewing is. It's, it's the whole fixer-upper type deal. Or the uh, flip or flop or something, right? And they're split or something. I see the headlines that I've... But flip or flop. You know, we love this stuff, don't we? I mean, those shows, they put them on and we watch them because we love to see broken, nasty houses, 
become, wow, right? We love to see the transformation. We love to see the metamorphosis. And he says, that's what I want to do with your life, and I'm going to do it by starting by renovating your mind. When I renovate your mind, then it will renovate your life. You know, the old proverb was, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Our thoughts dictate our lives. And he says, if I can renovate your mind, renew it, I can then renovate your life. It's just a matter of, boom, it's going to happen. And so, this is what he's up to. He wants to make us. How does that verse finish? then you will be able to show forth. You'll be able to test. You'll be able to be an example of what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You're gonna be able to be who God designed intended for you to be because he's transformed you, and the way he's gonna do that is he's gonna start in your mind, with your mind, renovating your mind. I like these words. I want to read these words. I want to make sure and get to these. Transformation, the transformation that God has in store is not switching us from a to-do list of the flesh to a to-do list of the law. See, when Paul replaces the list, the works of the flesh in Galatians, he does not replace it with works of the law, but with the fruits of the Spirit. And this transformation that God is doing in our lives is energized, is led by the Holy Spirit. And it is about creating in us not the ability to check off another checklist, but it's about, it's about developing characters in our life that create a new person. You ever met somebody that could, you, you know, they could do everything right, but they were really, when you really got to, to know them, they were kind of a dirty, rotten scoundrel. They could trick people, and they, I did this, I'm good this way, I'm good. But yet, you knew, maybe you lived with them, you're like, you are not a good person, honestly. Well, you know what? God's transformation process isn't about saying, hey, don't, don't do this, and don't do that, and don't do this. You know, the, this is now a don't list, and now I'm going to give you a, a to-do list. Thank the Lord, husbands, right? You know, this is, it's, no, hey, what I'm interested in doing is taking you out of that kind of living to create in your life a new person. A new person that becomes someone who you don't have to give a to-do list because they, they follow after that which is right and good. And so that's what he's wanting to do in this transformation, and he starts it in our minds. And so, as I learned in first service, I'm only going to do two things today. I want you to remember two things as we move into this for the next couple of weeks. And I'm, I love talking about this because it's, so, it's something we need to hear, something we need to know, something we need to think about. But there's two things I want to remind you of. The first one is that being renewed demands a constant cooperation with the Holy Spirit. It demands it, okay? Um, if you want to stop your stinking thinking, 
If you want your mind to be renewed, it's something that you are going to have to take control of. You will not be passive in this process. If you want to think how God wants you to think and that will enable you to become the person that you were created to become, then you are going to be an active participant in this process. Look at these scriptures. I mean, it's amazing when the New Testament talks about thinking, there's always something with it. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. We've just talked about Romans 12, 2. But look, what comes before that is Brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, I urge you, offer yourself. That's a strong word. It's a present yourself. It's a take action. It's a surrender type word. It's a you need to do something. And if you're willing to do this, then I then can renew your mind. Look at what um, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says. I mean, this is, this is a verse we're going to focus on next week a lot. But listen, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we do what? We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That word is the same word they would use when they were talking about a spear. Someone taking a spear to, to someone, taking them captive, forcing them through the force of a spear. He says, listen, you are going to need to take control of that thought. You are actively participating in saying, no, or I'm not. Or it's, it's in this process, it's calling us to take control of our thoughts. It's 1 Peter chapter 1, when he's getting ready to talk about you need to be holy as I'm holy because I'm doing this Jesus thing in your life and that's what is my goal. He starts it by saying these words, therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober. Uh, the, new, the, the King James Version said this, you are to gird up the loins of your mind. And if you're like me, you're like, What? I didn't know my mind had loins. <laughs> but the way that was written, the whole phrase of that is, listen, you better grab a hold of your mind. You need to be fully alert and fully sober. And that word's not a drinking word here. It's grab a hold of your mind so that you are, you are in control of what you are thinking. It's Colossians chapter 3 when he says, Set your minds on things above. That word set is a control type word. It's you need to take action. And so in the process of our, our minds being renewed, it's absolutely going to take a consistent cooperation from us. You know why I say that? Is because so often we begin to think that we can't help what we think. I can't help what I think. It just comes into my mind and I can't help it. You know. And you know, I I don't know, I just I keep having a lot of negative thoughts and yeah, I've become a negative person, but those are just the thoughts that are always in my mind and and it's just who I am. The scriptures would say absolutely not. 
And I would say that even psychology would tell us, you can't control what you think. Or you can control what you dwell on. You have the ability to say, you know, I'm not going to think about that again. I'm going to stop that right here. Now, it's kind of the phenomenon when you tell yourself to stop. You know, it's, you know, you know, it's kind of like coaching the kid who, um, if you tell them not to strike out, they're probably going to do what? Strike out because they're thinking about it. So, but there is a practice in our, in our lives, and I've experienced this personally. It's absolutely true. The scriptures are true that you and I can control what we think about, what we allow our minds to dwell on. You know, probably your grandma told you you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from making a nest in your head, right? And sure, we have all sorts of random thoughts that go through our minds, or there's no doubt that at any point we could easily think critically or negatively or be discontented or be, um, you know, fearful. But there is a point where we have the ability to, to resist, to take control, and to say, I'm not going to let my mind go down that road. That's what the scriptures are saying. It's saying, when I, if I'm going to renew your mind, then you've got to realize you're not passive in this. You cooperate. You resist. You take control. The second thing is, is being renewed will call us to think from a whole new perspective. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the wisdom and the power of God. And he goes on in that passage to share that, listen, what God did on the cross did, does not make sense to the world. If you're going to save the world, the last way, or the last plan that would have been made is for the Savior of the world to die on a cross, right? Like, that doesn't make sense. You build an army. You strategically plan. You, you know, you do this and that. And yet God's way of doing things always has confounded the wise. That's what he does. The wisdom and power of God is different. And so... One thing that you and I have to embrace is that in our minds being renewed, thinking like God thinks, and, and having his thoughts in our minds so that we become the people that he has called us and designed for us to be, is that there are many times that the way that we are called to think will be drastically different than the way the world thinks. And we embrace that. You might say, hey, I'm going to take this approach, and your coworkers are going to say, what, are you an idiot? Don't you know? Yeah, but you know the scriptures call me to this. Uh, you're, and we have to embrace that a renewed mind is not, necess it's not the popular way of doing things with the world. And so, with those two baselines, I believe that you and I are able to experience a mind that is made new and continually being made new and is seeing the word of God, is, is allowing the word to filter our mind and then direct our actions. But we got to make that step where we say, I am involved in this. I need to take control of my thought life. And two, a lot of times what the scriptures are telling me to think is kind of different than what my neighbors are doing. Or maybe even sometimes your family's doing. 
I mean, sometimes it's calling us to say, you know what? You need to trust me. You need to let go of this situation. You need to wait. When everybody around you is telling you, you need to work harder. You need to try harder. You need to do this. You need to, and you feel like the Lord's telling you, no, let me fix it. You wait. You let go. Just different things like that. We have to be willing to embrace that God's way of thinking is different than the world's way. And so sometimes what we're called to think is not necessarily the popular thing or the conventional worldly wisdom. Are you with me? I'm done, so you're good. So what we're going to do is we're just going to talk about, we're going to talk about reprogramming, feeding your mind on truth. We're going to talk about freeing your mind from destructive thoughts. We're going to talk about focusing your mind on the right things. Those are what the scriptures have for us. I, I have experienced this. I know what this is. And yet I continually need God to work on my thinking. But I have never, ever, ever regretted when he's changed my thinking what that's done for my life. It's only made my life better. And it's only moved me closer to the person he has called me to be. Let's pray. Father, Lord, would you open our hearts and minds, help us to understand the power of this brain that you've given to us and how it is the control center. Lord, because we've been born fallen, it needs to be reprogrammed. So Lord, would you just enable each one of us to be willing to, to allow that to happen to be committed to the ideas that it's going to take active participation on my part. I can and I need to take control of my thoughts. And two, that the way this world thinks is different than the way the scriptures in so many ways. And I embrace the biblical approach above everything else. As we're committed to those things, Lord, I believe that you can do this work that you want to do in our heart, in our minds, and then through our lives. We pray these things, Lord, in your wonderful and strong name. Amen.